Hey, Drew Dixon, Chief Content Nerd of Love Thy Nerd, back with you for another Bible Thump. Um, I normally try to keep these like super encouraging and kind of um, not preachy, but I gotta warn you, uh, the passage that we're in is gonna be hard. I think I might get a little preachy, but I think it's for a good reason. So bear with me. Uh, but you've been warned. If you are worried about me getting a little preachy, then... Now you know, it's coming. Uh, Alright, so Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 27. They, Jesus and his disciples, came to Jerusalem again. As he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, they all came up to him and asked him, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the authority to do these things? Remember, Jesus had just cleansed the temple. So, religious leaders, pretty upset about that. Like, it's like someone coming to your job and being like, hey, stop doing your job. You're doing it all wrong. And like unplugging your computer, unplugging the servers in your office because they say what you're doing is wrong and it needs to change. So <laughs> yeah, they're upset. So what authority are you doing these things, Jesus? So Jesus said to them, verse 29, I will ask you one question, then you will answer me. I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was John's baptism from heaven or of human origin? Answer me. They discussed it among themselves, and then they said this, If we say from heaven, he will say, he will say, then why don't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they were afraid of the crowd because everyone thought that John was truly a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. All right, so um, what's going on here is very political. It's very, there's a lot of tension that's been building and building and building, and it's almost come to a head. Like, Jesus is about to be arrested. He's about to be beaten. He's about to be crucified. Um, the religious leaders are finally going to get to Jesus. But at this point in Mark's gospel, like, they're just, they've just had enough, right? They're ready to do something about it. And they're, they're, they're furiously questioning Jesus because they've just been, they've just been questioned. It's almost like, um, N.T. Wright makes this analogy uh, when he talks about this passage. He says, it's like, um, there's this super busy traffic light in a in a major metropolitan area, the busiest traffic light in a major metropolitan area, and it goes out, right? And so there's this, what, what would happen in that situation? There would be a lot of angry drivers, and they would probably take things into their own hands and try to figure out how to get home without the traffic light working. They would take matters in their own hands, and it would probably go really bad. So imagine that situation if somebody stepped out onto the street and into that intersection and just starts doing an amazing job of directing traffic and getting everyone out of this horrible standstill and getting people moving efficiently and effectively back to their homes. Um, that would be amazing, right? Everyone would be really happy. But, but what if that person's not in uniform? You get what I'm saying? They're not actually a police officer. Um, What's going to happen eventually is the police are going to show up to direct that traffic because it's their job in those kind of situations. And they see this bystander, um, this run-of-the-mill average Joe, not a police officer, doing their job, and what's going to happen? They're going to get really upset, probably. They might even like arrest this guy or something. That could, that could potentially happen, right? Because he's, he doesn't have the authority to do what he's doing. Um, and so that's kind of what's going on here is like, Jesus has stepped into the place where the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders feel like represents their authority. And he said, you're doing it all wrong. Like the way you're trying to guide and direct people to God is actually jacked up and messed up, and it's missing the point. 
Um, so much so that he said, you have made my father's house a den of robbers. It was supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it this exclusive club where some people are welcomed in and some people are not. And so he was really mad about that. And so um, only like, so that, that analogy falls apart a little bit in this sense, like Jesus is doing that on a much larger level. He's claiming to have authority over Jewish religion. He's claiming to have authority over how people interface with God, how people can have a relationship with God. Um, the implication is that Jesus is the Messiah, right? The long-awaited king who would reign in righteousness forever. And let's be fair to the Pharisees, right? That's what they were working for. Um, Jesus was being really critical of the current religious leadership in Israel. Um, and that would be hard for anybody to stomach, right? Think about you know, how you would feel if somebody came in and, and unplugged your computer and told you you were doing a terrible job and that the way you were going about things was all wrong. It would be offensive. It would be difficult for you to take. And so, like, let's try. I think it's really easy when we read the Bible, especially the, the Gospels, to see some of the bad actors like the Pharisees, the people who don't like Jesus, and think of them as the villains and, like, kind of have this mentality about them, like, we think they're silly and they're wrong. Um, but let's try to put ourselves in the shoes of a Pharisee. Um, they were undoubtedly, uh, uh, many of them, like, their agenda, let's, let's just talk about their agenda. Their agenda was to purify Israel. Um, at its heart, that was a good agenda. They wanted to see people um, live lives of purity and live lives of distinction and live lives that honored God. Um, I think there were many Pharisees, now of course some of them got off track, right? But there were many Pharisees who were undoubtedly bought in to that idea, really believed that if they could get Israel to live pure, holy lives, then they would get Israel back on track and the Messiah would come and Israel would be restored, like its glory as a nation would be restored, its glory as the people of God, as God's chosen people would be restored. Um, and they really believed that, that mission, and so they went about like teaching all these things about purity and keeping the law and keeping the Sabbath and all, the, all these things that we've seen throughout Mark's Gospel that Jesus seems to be a little bit more willy-nilly with. Um, he doesn't ever break the law, but it seemed to them like they did because they built these laws around the law, right? Um, so there were people that really bought in and thought this was the way to go. And so for them, this was hard for Jesus to come in and criticize what they were about and what they were doing. Then there were others who taught, uh, who, who thought, sorry, there were other Pharisees probably, who thought they were committed to that mission of bringing in the kingdom of God, of, of purifying Israel so that the Messiah would come and Israel would be restored. But somewhere along the line, their loyalties and motivations began to drift away from that mission. And it became more about like consolidating their power or maintaining the status quo or keeping things the way they are or um, maintaining their wealth, their status, their, their influence, right? Um, so they probably think, I'm on mission, but maybe they had drifted slightly from the mission and it really now was about wealth or status or influence or power, right? You can imagine that happening with some of these some of these folks. This happens with almost anyone in any organization. We lose sight of the goal and the focus, and what we're really there for begins to drift. Think about when you started your job, like whatever job you're in. Um, maybe this job initially you really loved and really bought into the mission and worked really hard because the mission meant something to you. And then somewhere along the line, it kind of became about like... Um, 
you know, you lost a little bit, maybe not intentionally or purposely, but you lost a little bit of sight of that mission and it became more about just getting a paycheck to provide for your family, which is, which is understandable and a worthwhile goal, right? But you, you drifted a little bit, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you haven't at all, but maybe you have. But then I think there were probably also some Pharisees, some religious leaders in Jesus' day, who, um, like, the mission had sailed, right? At some point, they just were like, I'm just here for the money. I'm just here for the power. I'm just here for the influence. Um, so there's a whole mix. Before we demonize the Pharisees, and we should never completely demonize them, I think. They're human beings, right? But before we, we, we go down that path of demonizing, let's think about the mixed group that probably that probably was there. Um, and so here's what Jesus is doing with his counter-question. I think sometimes when we read the Gospels, we think Jesus' counter-questions are just designed to confuse people. But they're not at all. And the answer to Jesus' counter-question is super obvious. Jesus says, by what authority did John the Baptist do what he was doing? Now, what was John the Baptist doing? He was calling people to repentance and baptizing them. And he was baptizing them and calling them to rep repentance in light of the one he was preparing for. And he preached very clearly about the coming of the Messiah. In fact, pointed to Jesus as the Messiah, as the one that had come. Remember, Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan, and the Spirit descends upon Jesus, and the Father says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So all this was were things that the, the Pharisees were aware of. And they were aware of how popular John was, and how his message had been received, and how so many people had repented and been baptized by John. Uh, how big his ministry had grown. And so... Um, by asking them why, what authority John does the things that he's doing, um, Jesus is exposing the hearts of the Pharisees, their motives. He's telling them what most of them had longed for and worked for, by the way, too, is here. So he's not only exposing them, but he's also saying, like, look, everything you've wanted to happen and come, like, for those of you whose motives are right or who, whose motives are partially right and maybe slightly drifting off course, uh, those of you who are on mission and those of you who are not, those of you who are partially on mission and partially not, no matter where you are, listen, what you really want and what you're really longing for is here. That's the implication. Jesus is forcing them to reckon with something they already know deep down, but many of them, because of their, I think, um, mixed motives and missional drift, have lost sight of that Jesus, that, that what they've longed for is here, and Jesus really is the king. The answer to, Jesus, answer to Jesus' question is obvious and unavoidable. Jesus was exposing, in, ans in asking these questions, he was exposing their unbelief. He was exposing that they had lost sight of what they were really supposed to be about. So to refuse to believe when the evidence is overwhelming, um, when the evidence is overwhelming, like it was in this case, um, these people had seen Jesus' miracles. They had heard so much eyewitness testimony to the amazing thing Jesus had done to bring peace into people's lives, to bring healing, to restore people who are broken uh, in spirit and physically broken, um, to restore them and to give them life. They knew what was happening and they were choosing not to believe, and Jesus exposes that. And to refuse to believe in the face of overwhelming evidence is the height of foolishness, right? So I think that forces us to then go back to motive. Was it power? Was it influence? Was it wealth? Was it maintaining the status quo? And so I think for us, this is where I think we ought to hang out when we read this passage. What is it for you 
what is it for me that's keeping us from Jesus? Now, I'm not just saying like in terms of salvation or something. Like that's important too. Um, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I think this is a passage that challenges you to go like, hey, what's what's keeping me from him? Do I see the evidence? And is the evidence convincing to me? And if so, like what's holding you back from finally trusting and believing him, from seeing that he really is the Messiah who will give you life if you'll just return from living for yourself and from focusing on how you think life ought to go and say, Jesus, I want I want you. I want you to guide me and lead me. I want you to be my king. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my savior. Um, but then secondly, uh, what's keeping you from, maybe you are a follower of Jesus, but you're, you're, you're experiencing some drift. You've gotten off course a little bit. Somewhere in the line uh, of walking with Jesus, and this is probably all of us, listen, this is me too. Somewhere along the line of following Jesus, like my motives have become mixed. They become divided. Um, and it's no longer just about following him and honoring him and pointing people to the life-changing reality of his kingdom, uh, his goodness, his truth, his beauty, following Jesus, right? At some point along the line, it became about like maintaining the status quo or getting some bit of power or wealth or authority or influence, whatever it is. So if that's you, like, here's the good news of this passage. Jesus wants to expose that so that we'll see it and turn from it. That was his goal with the religious leaders. It wasn't just to prove them wrong, to show them that they were dumb or idiots or something. That's never his, his point. His goal in exposing their mixed motives, their broken motives, um, and to expose their unbelief is so that we would like, so that we would like the, the, the man um, who, who cried out to Jesus, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me believe that you can really bring healing to me. Help me to believe that you really can make me whole. Help me to believe that you really are the Messiah, that you really are King, that you really are bringing life and making all things new. So what's keeping you from turning to Jesus and living out his kingdom values, from loving and serving your nerdy neighbors um, like you want to, um, how have your motives become mixed? Um, how have your motives drifted from what they once were? Let's identify that and then just cry out to Jesus. And here's the good news. When we cry out to him, we say, help my unbelief. He does. He helps. He says, my burden is light. Take my yoke upon you. Jesus wants to take the weight off your shoulders and help you walk more fully in the newness of life that he brings, to help you live out his kingdom values of kindness, service, and love, to help you embrace his ethic of pointing people to himself and to true life. That's exciting. I'm excited about that. I hope you are too. Um, thanks for your time. We'll see you again next time for another Bible Thump pretty soon. Next week is LTNCon, so we'll have something going on next Sunday during that time, uh, but there will be another Bible Thumb soon the week after. So um, thanks again. We really appreciate you all. We'll see you again next time. <laughs>